Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Institute for Policy Innovation podcast. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. Today is January 5th, 2023, our first podcast of the new year. And I'm joined again by IPI's resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. And uh, Dr. Matthews, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I guess it's not too late to say that, and Happy New Year to all of our listeners. And uh, today we're going to talk about Joe Biden, Welfare King, uh, a little twist on the Welfare Queen a tag from the from the Reagan years. So, Dr. Matthews, you had a piece in The Hill on Joe Biden, Welfare King. So tell us about... Uh, how Joe Biden has become the welfare king. Well, as you mentioned, we used to use the term welfare queen. That was around in policy around the 1980s and 90s. And it's sort of it was a derogatory term meant to be someone, a female who was sort of taking advantage of welfare, could have worked or something. But she's just sort of abusing the welfare system. Right. It, it was a recipient of welfare. Right. And the idea was that the stereotypical unmarried single mom living off of the government. Right. And that got that got politicians interested in reforming welfare and of course Tommy Thompson of Wisconsin worked to do that in the state and reformed it significantly became something of a model for an awful lot of states and for the federal government. And so Republicans when they took charge in 1995 of Congress, they wanted to push through welfare. They uh, they passed several bills uh, Bill Clinton vetoed him at the time, but I think on the third one, he signed it and you had welfare reform. And it was a, an amazingly successful program in that welfare reform. And the idea was trying to get people off of welfare. The The general thinking was, if we can get people back to work, if we can find them jobs, uh, if we can get them employed and money coming in, welfare creates problems for people. They get stuck in a rut. They, if they're making a, plenty of money, they don't necessarily enough money to get by, plus maybe some money under the table. They don't have to go out and work. They get stuck in, in uh, federal housing. That had its own problems. There were just a number of things that we felt was wrong with putting more people on welfare. So we wanted to try to get people off of welfare. And just to be just to be um, just, you know, sort of 50,000 foot level, the idea, at least back then, was work good, welfare bad. Yes. Uh, being on welfare was not seen as a success. It was seen as a, you know, a failure or a or a necessary, maybe a necessary condition for some, but it's negative. It's not the ideal. It's not simply an alternative way of providing for your family. Right. And and it created among politicians the idea arose that if I am a if I'm an elected official and I am able to get people off of welfare and back to work, I can claim I've created jobs, the economy is doing well, yep. welfare roles are re- declining. I'm so I'm a good right. manager of the economy, reelect me. Exactly. The irony here is Joe Biden comes in and he says those same things about he's get, he's creating jobs, he, the economy is looking pretty good, and things are getting better. But at the same time, he is at, he is just aggressively trying to expand the welfare roles and takes it as something of a an accomplishment if more people are getting help from the federal government. And at the very least, that seems to be intellectually inconsistent, right? <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're arguing that. Um, a sign of my administration's success is that we're creating jobs and we're getting people back to work. 
But then also a sign of my success is we're getting people on welfare <laughs> and out of out of uh, out of employment. Right. Uh, those are contradictory things, which is a problem in a time when we need people employed. I mean, it is a major problem if you have more people on welfare. They don't feel the need to go to work. And it's not like we haven't spent a lot of money on welfare. So when Lyndon Johnson in 1964 created the war on poverty, uh, Mike Tanner of the Cato Institute says we spent roughly $25 trillion on anti-poverty programs since we started the war on poverty in 1964. And uh, Tanner goes through a list of some of these. There's 34 housing programs out there that are run by seven different cabinet departments, 23 programs providing food or food assistance, 13 health care programs, 15 cash or general assistance programs. And I've tallied them up. There's roughly about 80 different means-tested welfare programs in the federal government right now. And a lot of these overlap each other. Uh, you can get, It's hard to know how many people are on welfare because you can be on several different programs. A number of the of, of the organizations estimate right now there's roughly 60 million Americans on welfare. I think that's clearly wrong because we have 90 million Americans on Medicaid. Medicaid is a welfare program. If you've got 90 million Americans on well on uh, Medicaid, we've got more than 60 million on welfare. And even if you went back to last year, we were or the last couple of years, we were looking at 70 million people on Medicaid. So we've got a, now a lot of those people on Medicaid will be getting food or assistance and other type, maybe housing assistance and other things. But we've got an awful lot of Americans on welfare right now. Could we could we talk a little bit more about Medicaid? Because I think this is this is sort of eye opening to me. Uh, remember, Medicaid is not Medicare. Medicare is the health care program for retired Americans right. who are of Social Security age. Right. And also some Americans with disabilities, disabilities are on right. Medicare. So that's Medicare. Medicaid is designed for to provide health a health safety net, healthcare safety net for people in poverty. Right. And it uh, it is a federal state program. Medicare is fi- strictly a federal program, but Medicaid is a federal state program. So the federal government provides funds. The states generally sort of manage it under uh, under their auspices. But it is a it is the for most, I think, virtually all states, it is the largest expense. Used to be education. Now it's Medicaid. And again, Medicaid. Originally intended as a healthcare safety net for people who are in poverty, right? And you just said that there were ninety, more than ninety million people enrolled in Medicaid as of August of twenty twenty two. Yeah, 90, 90 million then, and the the reports just came out in the last couple of days that it looks like we could go up to a hundred million Americans on Medicaid. Now we That's don't have a third of the population. I was just going to say we don't have between ninety and a hundred million people in poverty in this country. Right, a, a third of the population is not in poverty. So that number is that high, I, I assume primarily because of the, ex- the intentional expansion of Medicaid under Obamacare. Exactly. That, okay. is, that is part of it. And the Biden administration sees that as a plus, not a minus. And interestingly, 40, a little over 40 percent of the births in America, nearly half the births in America are paid for by Medicaid. In some states, Texas, it's 50 percent. In New Mexico, I think it's more like 60 to 65 percent of the births are paid for by the federal government and states through Medicaid. And so is it fair now to say that that Medicaid, rather than being a health care system for people in poverty, is actually a health care system for essentially 
essentially the bottom one third of the income spectrum in this country. It, that's and interesting because and, of and some, some of, of that some of that portion is is going to be people that we would normally categorize as middle class or yeah. lower middle class. lower middle class. Right. But for some people in low incomes, because the state it varies by different states, eleven states never adopted the Medicaid expansion. So in some of those states, you could be really quite low income and not be in Medicaid because mm-hmm. they didn't adopt the Medicaid expansion. Okay. But Medicaid itself has just has grown phenomenally over the years. And again, we would we would normally think that the more people in Medicaid, the worse, right? <laughs> normally, yes. that's what you would think. Yeah, because you you would want them out working in uh, in the job market and having employer provided health insurance or buying their own health insurance. Right. Exactly. In which case, it would be the employers paying for the health insurance, not the taxpayers. Right. Uh, but now the Biden administration seems to have the opposite idea. They seem to have think that the more people in Medicaid, the better. Right. And and we know that a lot of that a lot of that is Medicaid fraud and and other things. But if you think the goal of the federal government is to get everybody receiving health care ideally from the federal government, and that's the Biden and, and most Democrats' position right now. They'd like to have the federal government managing it and, and most people under a government-run plan. Then even if some people are not necessarily qualified for that Medicaid, big deal. I mean, we, we want them in there anyway. So if you're not really eligible for it, eh, do we really care that much? Well, this is, a, uh, this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I think it's worth mentioning that you know during the economic downturn that we had early in the Obama administration, um, you had people like Nancy Pelosi and you you had Democrat elected politicians really coming right out and saying that it was a good thing for people to be on unemployment. Mm-hmm. It was a good thing for people to be on welfare. It was a good thing for people to be what we used to call dependency because, you know, the, the progressive left views the, the free market and the private sector as like risky and uh, capricious and arbitrary, you know, mm-hmm. like you could have a job with health care one day and then the next day you could not have a job and not have health care. And so it's like they some some people on the progressive left seem to see dependency on the government as a superior form right. of existence rather than a worse form. Because it's it's because it's security and it's safety and reliability, which was part of the idea behind the Affordable Care Act. So you've got Medicaid, you've got CHIP and that CHIP children's health insurance program is part of the Medicaid. We're sort of lumping that together. That's low income children. But um, the uh, Affordable Care Act has subsidies in there for lower income people. So if you are not qualified for Medicaid, uh, you're very likely qualified to get subsidies through the Affordable Care Act. And then you can have your your coverage there. And that's where Nancy Pelosi said this will help people who are artists and other things who can't get a who can't or don't want a regular job go out and get coverage. But they typically don't put Affordable Care Act in means tested welfare, but the subsidies are means tested. Mm. So it's you know, you can make a case that that's part of the welfare program that would go on top of Medicaid. Now, when we were doing our sort of uh, prep before the podcast, you were telling me how a lot of these programs actually got expanded as part of pandemic relief. Right. So as we record this podcast, you know, we're at a period of time where where the pandemic is largely over. And COVID virus remains in circulation, but the pandemic's over. Uh, But a lot of these programs were extended and expanded 
as part of the pandemic relief packages. Right. And one of the things that has occurred is that in the one point seven trillion dollar omnibus budget blowout that they that they passed, uh, the the Medicaid expansion, some of the extended benefits, extra benefits and so forth are going to go away later on in 2023. And that got the Biden administration Concerned because you might have people who are losing their Medicaid benefits. Right. And so now they're scrambling to make sure they're able to get the Affordable Care Act benefits. So, you know, it's 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 very typical, isn't it, for like a government program to be put into place as a supposedly temporary. Right. Whether it's a temporary expansion or because of an emergency. Uh, But then but then when you go to take it back, it's oh, no, no. Now now you're cutting people's benefits and we can't have that. That's exactly right. And that happened to just add another one in with the child tax credit. We've had a child tax credit for a while. The uh, the American Rescue Plan expanded that tax credit significantly. And then the left came up and said, this is great. We've got lots of children who were in poverty, who aren't in poverty now because we've expanded this and extended it to other people. And that was going away. They tried to get it extended. They weren't able to do that. But that child tax credit was meant to be essentially what happened was the left said, this is good. Let's make it even bigger and let's make it permanent. Make make it permanent. Exactly. Because why not? Right. Because money grows on trees, right? You were also mentioned in your in your piece for the Hill that the earned income tax credit, which right. I did not realize, uh, had also been expanded as part of pandemic relief. Had been expanded as well to to people who did not have children. Uh, they also extended the age that would be considered eligible for this and the income levels, and so you can get up to I think it went up to one hundred fifty thousand dollars for a couple, um, <laughs> which is. In uh, my thinking, is not necessarily. I think that's a child. It's not necessarily low income, but uh, there you are. Wow. Um, yeah, you 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 mentioned in the piece that that for some people, the EITC, when you figure everything in, nearly tripled the benefits for right. some EITC recipients. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, if, that's not just pandemic relief that's that's when you're tripling the benefits for something and for the child tax credit that's where it could go up to to a couple with uh with incomes up to 150 it went up to 150 then it started phasing out after that so if you're making $150,000 you were eligible for some of the child tax credit benefit and so that that's why i keep saying these these are means tested things and they're <laughs> fairly generous uh but it keeps uh it the Biden administration and Joe Biden has wanted to put more and more people on on various types of means tested programs, and they consider that a success story. So you called Joe Biden the welfare king. Right. And it wasn't Joe Biden wasn't the only person who put into effect pandemic relief program. So did the Trump administration. But it seems to be the Biden administration that is wanting to continue them. Right. And that was a point. Initially, this was we're in a we're in a pandemic. We've laid people off. Companies are, you know, shutting down and so forth. So we need to get these benefits. And you and I at the time said might make certain amount of sense to add some benefits or some things out there because people are losing their jobs through no fault of their own. The the states were shutting the economies down. Yeah. Um, And it took a while for that to come back. But having said that, we are the the economy is doing well. We're adding jobs. Uh, we're do, the economy is doing so well that the Fed can't uh, keeps trying to shut the economy down. Some, uh, but even so, the Biden administration keeps wanting to 
expand these various types of programs with federal tax dollars in ways that make that sort of uh, it just adds to a lot of people's incomes. And that, for one part, discourages them from working more. Right. Exactly. Um, Of course, with the new Republican House of Representatives, they'll probably have a hard time getting continued expansion and extension of some of these benefits through Congress. I think that's probably the case. Under the assumption that we ever do have a House of Representatives, because we don't have one right now because they can't seem to elect a speaker. Let's wrap up by talking about uh, why this is bad. Um, It may seem obvious to a lot of people, but it makes sense, I think, for us to talk about just two or three or four reasons why this idea of just having just extending government support for for low and even low middle middle class income people is a bad idea. I mean, first of all, we're borrowing money to do this, right? right? We, we we all know this is it's these are these are part of the explanation for why we have now mind boggling uh, annual budget deficits and a mind boggling uh, national debt that we're accumulating. Mm-hmm. And so servicing that debt is going to become a bigger and bigger problem for the federal government. Right. But just just because of the increase in the interest rates. Right. Servicing that debt becomes a big problem. When you were in the in the, before the Fed started raising interest rates, um, you could make the case I, if you were still if you were fiscally prudent and responsible. You didn't really like this, but you could make the case that interest rates at the federal government was almost nothing. So if they're borrowing the money, they're really not paying anything for right. it. I mean, there is something to be said for cheap money. Yeah. Uh, but but it's not always cheap. Yeah. And it's it's not, it's getting more expensive even as we talk. So. Exactly. In, in fact, in, indeed, because in part of the high spending right. that's been going on, that you have the return of inflation and now higher interest rates. So, so there's there's a strong fiscal argument that it's better for the country to have fewer people on benefits rather than greater numbers of people on benefits. Right. Uh, the other thing, and this is an area that you mentioned in your piece, but you've done a lot of work apart from this piece on, is this issue of, of fraud, mm-hmm. that these government uh, programs have far higher levels of fraud than private sector programs. Right. Private sector health programs, private sector insurance programs, they do a much better job of controlling fraud. The federal government doesn't seem to really care a whip about <laughs> about fraud. Yeah, prior to the pandemic, they would say the the federal government would say there's roughly ten to twelve percent of what they called improper payments. Mm. Uh, which they meant that could be, we don't really know. It could be fraud. It could be abuse. It's it, In many cases, it might be somebody just putting down the wrong code, a doctor or something of that nature in, in Medicare. So they, they knew there was those improper payments. They're out there chasing the fraud. Um, but it that increased significantly once the pandemic came in and they expanded Medicaid. It also increased with the EITC. Now, it's come back down a little bit. But uh, the the tax people on the the sort of the conservative tax people feel like the EITC is really just a because it's a dollar for dollar reduction in your taxes and you get the money back if you don't you know if you pay all your taxes and we still owe you some of the EITC you get it for you get cash right so it's not a deduction it's actually a tax credit we hear about EITC fraud because it's done through the tax system right. These other programs, Medicare, Medicaid, things like that, uh, there's huge amounts of fraud in those programs, too, but we don't really hear as much. We hear about it more from criminal prosecution than anything else because that's not done through the tax code. And so when you look at the fraud, it just exploded, especially with some of these programs that they created, the uh, 
the 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 loaning for to small businesses and right. other things. They right. found they found all kinds of fraud of that, including foreign nationals, Chinese and Russians and others who were benefiting from that. Uh, but having said that, yeah, the fraud exploded, and so that's a problem there. But if you're getting the government does not go after this as aggressively as we'd like them to. But even still, even if they even if they did, I still come back to the question of if you feel like it's a good idea for most Americans to have government provided health insurance, are you really that concerned? So you have no some, incentive to prosecute the fraud, right? right? If, yeah. if are you that concerned if somebody is who isn't eligible for it or are still is still getting the benefit? And and again, you you this is something you've you've written about many times before that the, that the government, you know. Uh, I I really do not like the government saying they're going to hire 87,000 new agents to go out and audit Americans. I wouldn't maybe mind them hiring 87,000 people to monitor uh, fraud in Medicaid and Medicare and some of these other programs because you get the idea that it really is huge. But the problem is they'll never do that because, as you say, there's no incentive. One of the Republicans' solutions would be to to block grant Medicaid to the states, to say to the states, here's X number of dollars, and you take it and run with it from there. You don't get any more. And so it tries to push that off on the states to become better monitors of the programs to see if they are able to uh, uh, manage the fraud. And interestingly, for for Medicaid, a lot of the states have actually gone to uh, essentially contracting with various types of HMOs. So this personal Medicaid, we're going to give the you know XYZ uh, Medicaid uh, insurance company this person. We give this a flat amount of money to that state yeah. or to that company, and then that company provides the benefits. Even still, so I, that has probably tapped it down, but not all aspects of Medicaid are under that. And in addition, they don't monitor it that well. So it's uh, it, an awful lot of money is flying out the door that shouldn't. But again. Do you really? And, you know, what happens in Medicaid is somebody gets a job. Somebody marries somebody who has employer provided coverage. Somebody moves out of the state. Somebody dies. All of this goes on. And the states are supposed to monitor their um, their Medicaid roles. But they get a lot of pushback from some of the state employees and left if they start monitoring and saying these people don't belong in the system. So they just keep mailing out the checks. And uh, you just conveniently never get around to to letting the state know that you don't need them anymore. Um, and, you know, the, the only real incentive for trying to identify that kind of fraud is, is financial, mm-hmm. right? It's if, it's if you can contract with a private company and say, you know, you, you, know, you get a cut or whatever of, of any fraud that you identify and are able to claw back or something like that. Uh, but that ends, up, that ends up with state having to contract, as you said, with private, private sector players and, and the – the state, the government employee unions don't want that to be done. And several years ago, I went to some of these private sector health insurers that were providing this. Because, as you mentioned earlier, if you go to MasterCard, Visa, and so forth, they, they track this very closely. They can estimate that roughly maybe a half a percent or maybe up to a percent of, of their payouts are fraud. Mm. But they try to manage it very, very closely. Because it costs them. Because it costs them. Yeah. But I went to some of these some of these companies that provided the Medicaid managed care and said, give me an idea, you know, what you think the fraud is, element is there. And none of, them, none of them said, every one of them said, 
We don't even track that. We don't look at it. <laughs> and there's a sense in which if you had somebody die in the system and you're pay, the, the state is paying a managed care, Medi- Medicaid managed care company to do this, and they're getting the money, but the recipient's dead, the right. Medicaid managed care company may not care exactly. that much. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. And then I think we should also mention that um, one problem with having a system where more and more people are dependent on the government is is the effect it has on a culture of work, mm-hmm. right? On what we used to call the work ethic, uh, and an understanding that you're you 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 are expected to have to work and produce in order to have things, in order to be able. You have to earn leisure, right? You're not guaranteed leisure. You have to work to earn leisure. These are these are old-fashioned Protestant work ethic bourgeois values. They're the, they're the values that this dynamic economy was built on. But when you get to a point where, you know, a third of the population or something in that neighborhood is is getting by largely on government benefits— Long term, that is going to have an erosion on a culture of productivity. There was a time in the 90s when they passed the welfare reform, and I would talk to some people who had been on welfare, who had been sort of able to get a job through the welfare reform proposals that were trying to create what what they called workfare. And they got a job and were able to get back in the workplace and brought in income and were able to pay for things and move into a house and mm-hmm. so forth. And they were, to a person, they would say, I kind of lost any confidence in myself. My kids lost confidence in me. I now am working. I'm making an income. I'm paying our bills. And I feel like I've got a renewed confidence in me and my ability to be able to do that. And it was a great, for lack of a better term, mental health benefit for these people. No, it's earned dignity. Right. Yes. It, it's 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 you, you have earned dignity and you have earned a sense of self self-worth and that you don't get uh, when you lay around and don't produce and don't work and depend on others to take care of you and your family. And one of the changes I think we may be seeing in the country in the last 20 to 25 years is an increasing willingness to say, Oh, it's okay if I get checks from the government. I'm okay if I can if I can just get enough money to get by on that. It doesn't hurt my uh, esteem at all, and I'm good with that. And it, it just President Biden wants to pay off an awful lot of student debt again. Another means tested welfare because not everybody gets it. Right, you'd have to have certain income levels and and so forth. Um, and the vast majority of them are saying. Very few of them are saying, I incurred that debt, and therefore it's my obligation. The federal government shouldn't be coming in. Most of them say, that's great. If taxpayers want to pay my debt, I'm fine with that. And it creates a new mentality out there that I think is concerning for us for it, the future. It's the argument against bailouts, right? Mm-hmm. When, you, when you start bailing people out, everybody else says, okay, well, where's mine? Right. Right. And, and, and people will start making decisions, and they will start behaving in the marketplace in riskier or more careless ways, because somewhere in the back of their mind, they've got the idea, well, the government will just bail us out. And and you move from a notion of, I might be fortunate enough to have a government bailout to, I'm entitled to right. a government bailout. Exactly. Exactly. So all in all, it sounds like we think it's a really bad idea long-term for the country, for the Biden administration to be expanding all these programs and handing out all these benefits. And, uh, I wouldn't say that I'm optimistic, but hopefully with some political changes down the road, we can start to get some of these things under control. But, you know, these debts that are incurred, this money that is spent, these deficits that are built up, they don't go away. Yeah, they They accumulate. 
the fiscal damage and the human damage accumulates. And to stress the point, some of the programs, expanded programs, have ended or are coming to an end, but they only did it in our, the Biden administration was opposed to that happening. So right. they would like to continue. If they had a Democratic House, uh, they would probably they continue would it. it. That's right. Well, we would invite you to check out our website at IPI.org and sign up if you'd like to receive notices of all of our new podcasts, content, and events. I mentioned during this podcast several times that Dr. Matthews has done a lot of writing on the topics of, for instance, benefit fraud and healthcare fraud and things like that. You can find all of that material at our website at IPI.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast, how about giving us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform? You can also help to sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to a better 2023, and we will see you next time.